Hey, welcome to Writer's Blockbusters, the show where we treat the final edit of a movie like the script. I'm one of your hosts, Bob Rose. I'm at ThundergruntBob on Twitter, and the other guys are going to induce themselves right now. Introduce themselves, not induce themselves. Go ahead. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) I am Jimmy George. I am a screenwriter and script consultant. My Twitter handle is at Jimmy R. George. And I'm Jamie Nash. I am a screenwriter and script controller, inducer, script inducer. <laughs> okay, we all just woke up. Let's start this podcast over. No, no, I'm a, no, no. I'm just kidding. In. Yeah, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm a screenwriter. I'm a script consultant. I wrote a book called Safe Cat Rights for TV. All that fun stuff. And my Twitter handle is at Jamie underscore Nash. Uh, today we're doing one of our two we've done this before in the past where we've talked about the classic and then we've talked about the either reboot or sequel i don't know what you call half of these things anymore. <laughs> i used to be so adamant about what you call things but we did this with Candyman, right mm-hmm. we also did it sort of with speed Mm-hmm. Right? Even though that was a speed one and two. Um, today we're doing Hellraiser. Our last episode was the 1980s Clive Barker original. And today we're going to talk about the 2022 Hulu Hellraiser. <laughs> With the awesome. same title. The same title, <laughs> yes. That's uh, like I... I I, I often say they should just add the year after these things. Yeah, why not? <laughs> In all the discourse with Halloween, everyone says it's Halloween 2018. For better or not, that is the title of that movie. Yeah, this should be Hellraiser twenty twenty two. Just add is. fuck. Just add the years after. No one cares anymore. <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna talk about Hellraiser twenty twenty two, and first and foremost, we're gonna give our review, our thoughts without just the script things. We're like as a movie itself. So who wants to start? Who wants to give their uh, assessment first, or what they how, how they felt about it? <laughs> Jamie, you do it. Okay, I will. <laughs> well, I like how we're all a little bit. Jamie, Jamie, you had your shot, but we're all a little bit today. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> um, so my my assessment of this movie was, I honestly, I have to say, this movie did not grab me on the roller coaster ride of excitement i hoped it would it would kind of it i it took me a little bit of um patience to kind of you know i might have even watched it in two sittings i've watched it like twice and a half now so and i think i liked it better re-watching it because i knew kind of where it was going it is a long runtime too for a movie mm-hmm. like this it's like two hour runtime and it, it it seems like it has a lot of story which we'll talk about uh, which I'm I'm not sure that that might have been the part that got in the way for me a little bit. I think mm-hmm. if they had gotten to the house and told me what it was about and kind of explained earlier, maybe I would have mm-hmm. leaned forward. But I think maybe in the beginning I was worried it was going to kind of be this plain slasher or something. And I, was, I wasn't quite vibing with it until it, it moved forward a little bit. So, so I don't know. It's a mixed bag. It's a quality movie. Um, I, I appreciate why people would like it. I think it's well made. I think it honors Hellraiser. Um, and I should also say, well, I'm a big Hellraiser 1 fan. And Hellraiser 2 was one of the most visceral movies I've ever seen in the theater in my life. I never saw any of the other Hellraisers. So and I've always heard I've always heard they're horrible and there's bad stuff in them and stuff. So 
this one seemed like it was quality and I could see that people with Hellraiser should be excited about it. I'll just say that the story didn't hook me as much as, as maybe some movies might. All right, I'll go. Um, So let's see. I have, well, I haven't seen the, the new pinhead before this one. Um, But I shared on the last podcast that I got on the on the last Hellraiser podcast that I I was hired to write to re to do a a write a script that someone else came up with the concept and the killer was very pinhead in nature and so I needed to have like an encyclopedic knowledge of pinhead <laughs> and I watched all seven at the time in one day in one sitting and it was terrible alone <laughs> by myself in the basement what? on fast forward by the way with the sound still on but by, by the way what did you mean by when you said you hadn't seen the new pinhead before this one because there was like there a, was there was a reboot, there was a reboot yeah. with another oh. pinhead um, okay I see. And, I did, and, it was done to know. keep the rights that's why I yeah it. yes yeah. yes I see. so like, i don't even know this history yeah yeah okay. so he there's looks a, like a baby he looks weird. yeah i believe <laughs> this is number 10 um of the uh, series you, you really? don't need to yeah i think this is either nine or ten I'll look man I'm, um, I'm so out you know i'm so out of the loop with hellraiser um, i was i was gonna say there was there were like seven or something no the uh, there were seven in 2011 when wow. i had when i watched them all um the so so okay i think this is the, the this is the 11th film 11th okay Holy there you I, go yeah i got a lot of uh uh, Jamie, I don't know, Jamie, to be watching to do. Jamie, or when I was like managing a video store in the aughts, mm-hmm. like Hellraiser movies being released was a common theme. Like mm-hmm. I had to, I had to rent those really bad ones <laughs> out. I, I remember not to interrupt Jimmy, but wasn't there yeah. one that got converted from a spec script into yep, a yep. Hellraiser? Yep. And it was supposedly a really good spec script. And I, I remember reading that at one point. The spec yep. script, not the Hellraiser version. But yep. sorry, Jimmy. We no, it's OK. So I think this is well-made movie. As Jamie said, I love the aesthetics. I think it's really beautiful um, and it's really nice to look at. And uh, I love the production value. Like we get a lot of big sets, which, you know, we don't get these days. We get a lot of practical effects. I, I like the score, um, the performances, um, but I'm. I have issues with the story and the story um, does some unconventional things in the way that the original did, but somehow, and we're going to sort of like diagnose why somehow it doesn't do the, it doesn't help the movie, these unconventional choices that it's making. And so like, it'll be interesting to look at why that is, but I would put it, as someone who's seen seven of the movies, I would definitely put it as a solid number three, um, which I think in these days in this in the reboot era is really as good as you could hope for, right? Like, yeah. If yeah. it's if it's it, not going to be number one, yeah, for sure. Yeah, if, if you yeah. put it at number three in an eleven movie franchise, that's a compliment. And now I haven't seen uh, <laughs> eight, nine, or ten, but oh, oh, I, I, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I would put I would put this as a solid three uh, and then part three after that um i'd go so far to say for me personally i would say it's probably the best reboot because it didn't make me feel like upset that they did it or anything it felt like the right move but i i'd say it was the best reboot since 
and and maybe I'm alone on this one, but that Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot. No, te- that's did. a beloved. That's a beloved. That's yeah. a remake. Wow, yeah. that's high praise for you. This, I mean, this is a reboot. That's a remake. <laughs> I I I mean, we did the po- we did the Candyman podcast before, and I I love that movie, even though Candyman's I have some good. issues with it. So um uh anyway um yeah so Maybe, uh, dawn ha- of the dead i forgot about dawn of the oh yeah right, i gotta the, yeah. throw that one in yeah, we'll we do this again we, yeah, we just can list movies. movies that we all like yeah <laughs> robocop no i'm just kidding <laughs> hey 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 <laughs> okay but that's one. that's that's my feelings on the movie and yeah, uh yeah. yeah uh so mine aren't i mean obviously i feel like all three of us are kind of in sync here mine are very similar i was gonna say i'm a little bit more generous like I, I think that uh, I, I like I, I love generally the first three Hellraisers, even three. And I think the one Scott Derrickson directed is great. It's I would say that uh, he did Inferno, I believe, in mm. 2000. That was his first movie. Uh, Scott That's Derrickson awesome. of uh, if Black Phone. I was going to say, I didn't even know he did a Hellraiser movie. So yeah, it, yeah. it shows you how this Jamie, is a blind like, spot. That's regarded me. as the good one outside of the first few like if you look at all of them um scott derrickson's is actually the good one (laughs) uh so like i regard i've watched hellraiser 2022 twice to me it's probably like around my third uh fourth or fifth favorite hellraiser movie and that's actually i mean like i said it's an 11 movie franchise i don't feel like i'm insulting it yeah I, I think there's a ton about it that's awesome. The mm-hmm. cr- the creature designs are great. The performance of Pinhead is awesome. Um, the I think all the lore is really the cool. world building. Yeah, yeah, the world. That's building not even on lore. our talking points. Yeah, the world building and the lore of this movie is where it absolutely shines. Yes, for the whole franchise and everything, it does more for that than the original like it, i think it, so too like it really does an amazing job so like when we talk about this we're putting the script under a microscope mm-hmm. for everything but like i don't feel like we're saying i'm not saying i didn't like it i liked it it's it's not exactly um how do i say this it's not i think there's <laughs> there's a little bit of a puritanical vibe to it for me like it's, it's not very as it's not as tame. weird it's yeah. not I, as weird it, it's not it, as sexual it yeah. feels a yeah. little studio safe doesn't it, it? Feels a little it safe. does yeah it does feel mm-hmm. a little bit safe even um, with all of the gore yeah um, with all the gore and everything and you would think like on paper it doesn't look studio safe like if i pitched it to what it, you know but there's something about it that is for all the updates and stuff like that it just feels a little safer than some of the wild wacky and stuff. I, I the think the days. I think when we start getting into the sin and comparing the two, that's gonna also sort of yeah yeah inform it, why it feels like that. All the reasons that I love the original and the sequel mm-hmm. seem to be kind of missing here. Yep, and I agree. That's not a direct. That's not saying it's bad. It's just like it's missing. It's missing this air about it. I don't know. It's hard to put into words. Those mo- no, those movies were daring. And, and there's Clive Barker. It's Clive Barker versus. Yeah. I, I don't know much about this director or you know anything. Yeah, we're gonna get into that in a minute. Yeah, Clive Barker has something about his work that will always <laughs> resonate mm-hmm. in those in in like the sexual elements and the desire mm-hmm. elements. This movie did not have those you know and that's where i it fell short for me but i think it's a foundation for a bunch of movies that could yeah 
if they keep going forward, I think it could. I mean, the 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 lore and the world building is incredible. So like, I'm excited for this Hellraiser two, mm-hmm. whatever that <laughs> if that happens, if that happens. I don't know how it did, but I was gonna say, Jamie, um, do how did this do? Like the. <laughs> maybe no it made zero dollars zero i mean it might be the first movie to ever make zero dollars at the box office we've done but no but that's because it's on hulu it it had no theatrical release right yeah that's right no theatrical release and in fact just for yucks and giggles i googled like top 10 on hulu in the world on october 20th and i don't even know this might be like fan rated or something but it was number one on this list, whatever I'm looking at. Okay, there you go. Let's put okay. it this way. Number eight was Grandma's Boy. So, <laughs> Really? Yeah, there you go. Grandma's Boy is number eight on this list. I do love Grandma's um, Boy. 22 Jump Street is number three. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. Every, everybody's favorite Zombieland double tap is number six. I do wonder if they're going to create a new system to sort of uh like 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 the streaming accountability version of the box office uh numbers you know like streaming accountability is the wrong word um you know just like the new nielsen yeah the neil the yeah where we go you go and you say this many million people i mean i guess all the platforms would be need to be super transparent and how do you do that but anyway not screenwriting related no i get i get in a whole (laughs) Well, we always talk about if it's a blockbuster, and then now we're in a time where that doesn't mean as much. Yeah, anymore. we've joked many times that yeah. this this show might be about a dying art form. And oh, might uh, no, Jimmy? It's not might anymore. <laughs> it is like I got I got in a whole debate with my wife the other night because she was like, there was some show she wanted to watch because she wanted to give it good ratings, like a show she liked, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, I DVR'd it. And I said, it doesn't, and I looked at her, I said, it doesn't matter. You're not a Nielsen family. <laughs> and she was like, what are you talking about? And I was explained to her the whole, whole Nielsen system. And she, yeah. looked at, she looked at me and says, I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> My parents are a Nielsen family, by the way. Oh, which really? Which was weird. Yeah, to go to their house and see all these boxes all over their TVs and stuff. And then you got to ask, does cable really matter anymore? Uh, (laughs) Um, Well, let's get into it. Uh, Jamie, who wrote this shit? Yes, Bob. Well, this this screenplay was written by Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski. And... and Dave, uh, screen story by David S. Goyer. Oh um, boy! So the Ben and Luke, um, I've I've kind of you know been fans of them from early on, and they mm-hmm. they've had a career I've kind of watched you know just blossom. Now they're now I I bet they're like powerhouses. I think we shared a manager at one time. Um, and same with David Bruckner, by the way. He, he was in the same group. I was going to say he's a VHS guy. He's a VHS guy, and yeah. he's another one that I followed. Um, him, Ty West, all those VHS guys I kind of watch and I'm fans of, and I kind of root for their movies because they, they've kind of all bubbled up, you know, from the independent circuit, get one bigger thing after another. Uh, so Ben and Luke started with Super Dark Times, if you've ever seen that yes. movie. Uh, Love that movie. Yeah. And then recently they teamed up with David Bruckner for The Night House. Um, 
David Bruckner, he's the director, so he didn't have any screenwriting credit on this, but they teamed up before. So I have to, I have to imagine he was involved in the scripting of this. Mm-hmm. But you know, he he started with VHS, but then he had this uh, really interesting kind of Lovecraftian movie called The Ritual on Netflix. That's mm-hmm. that's a really interesting that. watch. Fantastic yeah. movie. Yeah, and I always thought he was going to be. He was just going to blow up like and I think this is his blow up movie in some ways. I think the next thing will probably be if he wants to will probably be another big studio thing. I think I think this shows he he has studio muscles and stuff, but he was attached to a Friday the 13th screenplay that if you can find it online, it's one of the better horror screenplays out there um, oh, okay. and it's it's out there. It's the David. Br- he didn't write that one either. Uh, is it Nick? Anacosta, I think, is the guy's name. That uh, sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Go Google it. It's out there. It's a really good um, script, really well written, really fun. And you can, if you're a horror screenwriter, you can learn a lot of lessons from that script. Usually, when people say like, "What's what horror scripts have you read that you liked?" or you know, I think that one has a really good style and it has a lot of interesting stuff in it. So check it out. Wow. Cool. Yep. But it never got made. Which Man. is, I which mean, is shocking to me. Maybe someday the of the actual remake, what anything would be better than that of <laughs> yeah, Friday. So it, it was right around the time of like when Friday the Thirteenth, they were thinking about going found footage or something. And I think mm. there was, I think there was a version of it that was found footage, and then they mm. did this version, and and it, they just didn't know what they wanted to do. And I think there were some rights issues and stuff around. Still that. are, yep. yeah, yeah. So have we, yeah, um, have we ever stuff. done? on this show have we ever done a david goyer movie i don't i don't know uh, if we have have we i don't think so i was gonna say how about one of the it doesn't really count but have we done any dc superheroes not it's, that he was involved not in. that he yeah not okay. yeah not we didn't do any of the Zack snyder ones That's we didn't crazy. do any nolan missed, ones either yeah we missed all that stuff <laughs> we um, didn't exist yet yeah right like <laughs> He's a, he's a screenwriter where it's like I absolutely love a very small percentage of his movies and then mm-hmm. same man, man do I have some problems outside of same that. <laughs> yeah like <laughs> like I almost but he needs no introduction as yeah, well, as far as like his resume right Jesus. at all but yeah I, what yeah, a career what a, he has a, a very storied career but part of me is like dude stop um <laughs> he, has, he has some of my you know some I really like of course the blade stuff and dark city or mm-hmm. the ones that... i literally watched blade 2 yesterday like ah, yeah, nice. yeah like it's it's awesome but i i always kind of i don't know why i, I i'm a fan i'm a fan of some of this stuff um he's, he does so much i think that's that's a big part of it too i think it's just a quantity issue i there is a bit of a quantity issue he does a lot of stuff and he produces a lot too and what i really like about him is he produces this kind of stuff now uh, you'll see his name on some pretty interesting projects that I think he gets so on. So maybe he's using his cloud to usher in other creators and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I have a connection to him through like Ed Sanchez and Greg Hale. They worked on um, Freaky Links with him, which gotcha. Which I actually Freaky Links was a show that came out right after Blair Witch. It yeah, was on like, Fox. Yeah, on Fox, and it only lasted like a year or two. It's kind of like the Fox version of what Blair Witch could be as a TV show. Um, I actually think it was kind of underrated. but Yeah, um, I think it's great. I think it was a little bit ahead of its time, to be honest. I didn't know he was involved in that. That's cool. He, he was one of the main writers on it. 
Oh, That's damn. Awesome. I didn't know that. The, the, on the flip side, I, I can't remember if he tried to get his name changed or something <laughs> like that. He tried to get his name taken off. I remember there was some weird development stuff with Fox. <laughs> um, he might have like changed his name to some crazy, goofy name or something. Not that, not that he's hiding his credit, but I, I don't know. I, I had the story in the back of my head that he has like a really funny, like there's a really funny name he used as his pseudonym. But it might not have been for that project. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh david goyer david goyer i never know how to feel about you um well let's get into it uh one of yes. the things you guys we all we all we always make the mistake sometimes of when we're passionate about talking about a movie we talk about it too much beforehand in the chat yes in our, in our chat and i we I got a little i think we got a little bit away uh, yeah we this did time. this time that was my fault i was no, like what not, do you guys okay. think it's tempting cuz you just watch the movie and you're like ready to talk about it but one of the things that i think came up the most was the monster in the house element of this movie or the <laughs> the lack thereof or the problem mm -hmm. with right but we talk about monster in the house a lot do you want to summarize what we mean when we say monster in the house jamie yeah sure so we talk we've talked about this a lot lately so this is the this is the portion where you I'll just replay the little tape I made <laughs> so here we go I would love if you did that. <laughs> let's go to the tape uh, going to, to the tape hitting play so uh in save the cat and the save the cat books by Blake Snyder including the original save the cat book he came up with uh 10 different genres and for him those 10 different genres were really story patterns that he saw over and over again monster in the house being one of them uh i always give my examples of other ones just to kind of give you a feel golden fleece is a story about somebody like seeking a prize or a trophy and they they could be like quest movies like lord of the rings they're not even seeking a prize but a destination kind of a road trip or something and it could be anything from like lord of the rings that has a quest to something like major league which is a quest for the trophy or a, a you know sports movie or mm -hmm. something like that um, so that's Golden Fleece. There's Buddy Love, Romance, stuff like that. And then we get the monster in the house. And what you mostly see is 99% of horror movies are monster in the house, or as we've been talking about lately, have monster in the house elements. Um, but, but almost all of the major horror movies you watch are monster in the house, Jaws and, and Alien and The Conjuring and Insidious and The Thing. And, you know, all these movies are monster in the house movies. Um, so monster in the house movies have three main elements. One is the house, which I've kind of usurped in uh, as a trap. Like somehow they're trapped in in some kind of. It doesn't location. need to be a house, right? It doesn't need to be a house. It could be the world. I kind of view it as the trap. Um, but if you look at a purist, might look at it as a legitimate building, uh, location, geography, something like that. In Doctor Sleep, it's their minds. In their minds or something like that. There's mm -hmm. some kind of trap, but that's how I've interpreted premise the house. Specific. Premise specific. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's always a monster, and I've never really seen a monster in the house. That, and that's really not even that loosely interpreted. Whether it's a serial yeah. killer or a real <laughs> monster or a, or a group of monsters, that's the one that there's really never a debate. We've yeah. never had the debate. Like, is there a monster? <laughs> is in there this a monster one? in this one? <laughs> that, that's the one that never. Um, and then last but not least, there's the sin. And most good ho horror movies have a sin. Occasionally, you see some either not good ones or, or sometimes ones that are just trying to reflect reality and they're more nihilistic and grim, you know. But the sin is 
there's some sin that brings the monster about that there's something that brings the monster and the example i always give is the poltergeist uh example where they built houses on top of a graveyard and they just removed the tombstones but not the bodies and often it's not even the characters themselves even though yeah, he is just... complicit they're just it's people who are uh experiencing the cat collateral damage of someone else's sin it's or like, a... yeah. <clears throat> the sins of the of the humans just in general. yes like, yeah, <laughs> right. somebody right. committed a sin yeah and, and the way i always wrap my head around the sin when we, again we talk about this one all the time is i think the sin is important because it plants in the seed of the reader, someone must be punished, or you know what I mean. It almost, it almost gives us some kind of weird karma. It's that, the, it's the why. Yeah, yeah. Like, like these kind of things don't happen if you're good, but if you sin, you're in trouble. It's kind of that moral of the story thing that yeah, you get from old fashioned fairy tales. It's theme adjacent sometimes yes. directly is the theme. You know. Yep. Yep. So the, yeah. anyway, that is the monster in the house. So what we're going to discuss. Is this a monster in the house? There's mm. definitely a house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. First qu- question, Jamie, that I, since you talk about often how if the trap is escapable, is it a trap? You know? Right. Right. Um, and like the puzzle box is a trap, but wouldn't they be able to just escape it if they stopped playing? Here, here's here's why I think it is it is a monster now. So. Okay. I'll, t- okay. I'll tell you why I think it is. Much so, so I'll use Poltergeist as my example. They could have left that house, but why didn't they? Because Carol Ann's trapped. Carol Ann's trapped, yeah, Ca- right? Carol Ann is part yep. of the house. That's I, true. Yeah, I, so I she's think, trapped. And and I think the brother is trapped. The brother is trapped. Yeah, even if he's and, dead. Yeah, and that's that's why I think it's a legitimate trap. Okay, cool. That that's works. That works. That's yeah, for me, I think like the just, brother is trapped as far as they know. As far as they know, yeah. in that, their perspective, that, he's their, trapped. For, yeah. Yes. That's a little bit where it gets wonky. You know yeah, what I mean? Because yeah, because yeah, yeah. in yes. some ways we really don't know that or. That's a problem, right? So the middle, yeah. yeah so it, yeah, it makes yeah. for a little. It's a bit little bit too ambiguous as as to his state. Um, yeah. Ambiguous is a good word for a lot of things we're going to talk about. That, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Intentionally so, and I think that ambiguity is the problem because right. ambiguity works in a in an anti plot story. Ambiguity does not work in an arc plot story. And, uh, honestly, when I said I had a hard time locking in, this is the section I had a hard time locking into. Yeah. That, so. Yeah. Yeah, J- Jamie, like they don't even get to the house till 50 minutes in. <laughs> yeah. I think that yeah. speaks to one of the reasons it's weird. So, and then yeah. let's talk about the monsters. <laughs> like, who's, if they did this thing again, just like Hellraiser, the, the OG Hellraiser, where, um, the the Cenobites are monsters, but they're not, they're not the, the monster. monster. Yeah, they're not, right. They're like, not the antagonist of the movie right roland yeah. voigt is and and we right. have a whole section to get to to talk about roland at the end and i think that's a good place to wrap it up with mm-hmm. but so, let's go ahead so I, I would say in this case it's it's a little strange I, again there's a lot strange to this and, and we're kind of rolling into the next section because it's it's like these weird shifting goals and 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 because you shift the goals you kind of shift the monsters yeah but i would say in this movie the Cenobites, more so than 
the original Hellraiser, the Cenobites do act as monsters. Like oh, yeah, they, totally. Yeah, they, they're they, legitimately antagonizing people and yeah, killing them threats. in the first they are, half. They are active for threats in pursuit of of this group of people. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, yes. it's, I'm not sure how I'd pitch this movie. Like, I guess it would be, like, if I was doing, and I didn't try to do the logline. <laughs> yeah, if you tried to pitch this movie, it'd be like after, you know, a a recovering addict after messing with a stolen puzzle box summons creatures who take her brother and she must find a way to bring him back before the creatures kill her. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind something. of mess. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little weird. Um, but, uh, I think it's weird because they don't want to kill her. Um, yeah. That, that makes it a little strange. And even that, I have a whole little section on that. Oh, we'll get yeah. it. It's a little fuzzy too. Why that is? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, that's I, what I'm I, saying. We're gonna. I want to bring it up and watch, talk about it. Like, that's yeah. why on my second watch, I was trying to pay attention to. I think it's that whose moment life was in danger the, at any given and, moment. And here's the weird. Here, <laughs> that's the weird thing about it is, what well, this goes back to your: is it a monster house? Is it a trap? Well. If the monsters really don't want to kill her, but I, I guess they do. Like if she doesn't ultimately obey, they'll come to her for her kind of thing. But if she's the only one they're after, and she realizes this halfway through, if she just left everybody home, it would be a much safer trip in some ways. You know, what I mean, yes. she could have gone by herself. And that's done yeah. This stuff that's and, that's in my reading yeah. resume notes. <laughs> it's a little strange. I think also I don't I don't I didn't see it in the notes. Um, but we. <laughs> Trevor throws a wrench into a lot of this too, mm-hmm. and he was. My it's biggest... later. That's that's in the villain section. Okay, I want to we'll save, okay, we'll save it. I want to save it. Save it because that yeah. he was my biggest. I think. Point I think stacking all these villain conversations at the end is good, and they're all related yeah. to like okay. why it feels weird. So, all right. I mean, we're kind of dabbling in it already, so let's just talk about the weird structure with the goals and the midpoint and yeah, stuff like absolutely. that. So, um, here's the thing, I. When I watch this, I almost think there's another there's another blog to be written, right? And I probably have already written Yeah, it. dude. But, I was uh, thinking that while I finished the second viewing, I was like, Jamie would Yeah. There's so <laughs> many um th- next Halloween, I'll write another blog. Um by the way, by the way, if you missed the last blog, it's on savethecat.com based on conversations here and monster in the house. Go check it out. Uh, but anyway, so <laughs> there is a thing in horror. Where, and it's a slow burn thing, but it, it works in horror much more like much more than any other genre. I see it more in horror than any other genre. Like it would never work in action where you don't really lock in to the true kind of game of it all, the true kind of premise until like the middle section. Right. Mm-hmm. And it still kind of has act breaks because like when when her brother vanishes, like you could say she has a goal like can she save her brother? But it's also a little debatey because it's it's like the debate section because Ken is in it. You know, like, I don't even know if I can save my brother. Who knows? I'm going to investigate. I'm going to see what happened. <laughs> you want to kind of um, explain the lock-in for anyone? Because we haven't talked about it in like five or six episodes. So yeah, maybe there's while. someone who has not heard of us talk about this before. Yeah. So so I always say, go tape. yeah, I, go to the tape. I would say a, a, good, a good story DNA. <laughs> so when you're coming up with your story, it should have a hero goal obstacle and stakes. So what is, and, and by the way, this is, it's funny. Cause I, I had a client this week that kind of misunderstood this and they did it for the setup. 
like it was almost like you know so in this case uh, i don't want to confuse the point I'll, I'll i'll give you the real version and then i'll get to the setup version um so the real version is once your what's your story about and, and tell it to me in terms of hero goal obstacle and stake so raiders of the lost ark is about an archaeologist who's trying to get the ark of the covenant before the nazis get it or else the nazis will get it and win world war ii take over the world whatever okay right. so hero indiana jones goal get the ark obstacle nazis and also mystery he doesn't know where it is stakes they'll take over the world all stories need those things okay so that's where you should start writing your story you should make sure you have those and by the way so just, just as an aside because this came up this week um so i told a client that this week and i said okay pitch me your story and they thought about it and they thought long and hard but then they gave me what happened before the story so it'd be like indiana jones's goal was to teach school you know right. and mm. and then I'm like, well, what's the obstacle well he doesn't really have any obstacles and i'm like yeah um but then i realized when they wrote their story they gave me the before the catalyst story before the lock-in story now this gets to our lock-in thing um so anyway when i'm saying give me hero goal obstacle stakes i mean in act two like what's the movie we're watching what's what's that thing and this goes directly into the lock-in the lock-in moment of your movie is the moment we know who the hero is what they're chasing what the obstacle is and what the stakes are that's the lock-in moment in a save the cat type beat sheet it usually happens in the break into two if you're doing three-act structure it usually happens before act two starts Okay. And we've had this debate, and I don't want to derail you because you're on a roll here. Yeah, yeah. We've had this debate many times about what is the actual lock-in? Is it the moment the audience knows the character, all these things that you're mentioning? Or is it the moment the character lines up with our superior position? Like yeah. in Back to the Future, Mar we know Marty is in 1955 for 10 minutes before Marty knows he's in 10, 1955 and needs and is now locked in to his efforts to get back to the future. Right. In Groundhog Day, we know for an entire 10 minutes that Bill Murray is in the same day before he knows that he's in the same day and is locked in to trying to get out of that time loop. So the question is always interesting to to feel like is it is the lock in when the audience knows the character is in the in the problem that they they need to overcome by the story's end, or is it when the character is quote unquote locked in to seeing right that now. through? Yeah, well, yeah. I'm, I'm I, more with the audience on that one. I think I, I think I, I was. I don't mean to show. mess you up, Jamie. Oh, no, no. Jamie. And I, I tell you what, yeah. I think it's great discussion, <laughs> yeah. and I'm I'm happy to kind of derail a little bit to talk about it because I think I think the part that clouds it is there is a thing called the ordinary world versus the um, yep. The unordinary the, world, uh, right? The upside down world. Upside down world. So in Back to the Future, it's a good example. So the lock-in is when we know what their goal is. But in Back to the Future, we don't know his goal, but he's in the upside down world. That's right. So that's where it gets a little cloudy. Mm -hmm. And 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 the truth is, while the lock-in mo moment usually comes in the break into two, and you could almost view it that way. And I almost think it's better to view it that way. Like I almost think that's the more purest view. So even if they're in the unordinary world, maybe you're still in debate territory, you know, yeah, until yeah. they, mm -hmm. I, I think that's the cleaner way to do it. Okay. When you're, when you're teaching people, and by the way, I do think I said that in the back to the future, but just thinking about it, you know, yes. sure. I think that's the 
if I if I want to make the math of this and not the art, you know, if I want to take away some of the ambiguity, I think the lock-in should be when they get the goal. Okay. And, and I think that should be the break into two. So the unordinary world is they have a goal now, and that's part of the unordinary. You know, it's yeah. like they're in that world. They're locked into that world. But when you teach it, it's very easy to say, okay, well, he's in the past. That's act two. <laughs> yeah. And I get yeah. it. I get it. It's, it's yeah. so either way really works. So yeah. anyway, it's, it is, it is, it, this isn't math. Yeah, it's not yeah. math. So, you know, however we have slices, as long as it works. As I long mean, as it works. Because I think we debated in Groundhog Day, it was one thing and Back to the Future was the other. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. They're, they're really kind of the same thing. Um, but something about it felt right in one. I think the problem with Bill Murray is, in in that movie, the problem with Bill Murray is all over Twitter. But the problem in that movie <laughs> well, yeah, with Bill yeah. Murray um, is uh, is he's kind of in the ordinary world when he's in the unordinary world. Yes, in some ways. it's still, a different. Yeah, weird. It's a strange. Thing. Our world is yeah, his. <laughs> yeah. In so this one, I did. Obvious. But, but in, anyway. in in this movie, I did some time codes I want to throw out there, and we can kind of discuss because it's okay, it basically okay. speaks to your point. Now there is before this, way earlier before this, like. 25 minutes is around when she gets stabbed with the box and she's high on the playground and she mm-hmm. starts hallucinating. So for yep. her, that that is the the upside down world begins right then and there. However, her brother doesn't go missing mm-hmm. until 31 minutes when okay. he comes, goes to the bathroom and disappears. Right. That's that she she can't find him is 31 minutes. So he's officially missing there, which is ultimately the the story engine for her. Um rescuing him, finding him and rescuing him. However, it isn't until there's a bunch of debate in between there for, for between 31 minutes and when she goes to the hospital and finds Voight's old assistant and that is when Voight's old assistant like sort of connects the prologue stuff to to our a story and says uh voight was the last one who had the box and it killed him and it's going to kill you too so now she has a a concrete connection that this box is the source of her missing brother and she's now on a mission to figure out how to use what she knows about the box to find her brother and that's at 38 minutes and that to me feels like the lock-in what would you yeah. say? So I, I think you're right. I yeah, think you're right. I agree. And, That's and what I, was think, say. I think it's a good example because when his brother goes missing and she first sees the Cenobite, she's kind of in the unordinary world, right? Or the upside right. down world. But it still takes her a few more minutes to get to the lock-in. So yeah, seven minutes of debate. Yeah. Seven minutes. And and honestly, that's that's kind of a long time. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I think it's exasperated by the fact that we're way ahead of her the whole yes. time. We know yes. the puzzle box. We've seen the movie. I, we, you know, all that stuff. We it's, know it's, 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 God, the, the, yeah. the meta text of it being a reboot itself means that <sighs> yeah. we're waiting for the her to catch up. It's. I think this yeah. is going to let also when we get into the rooting resume and stuff, it's so weird how we've we see in movies often that using superior position can create all this tension but used in the wrong way, like in this movie, it takes tension away. Like the fact that we're so ahead of her, but there are things that we don't know that if we did have superior position about, like Trevor, like Voight's plan, that would have made 
it create more tension. But I, I, I wonder if they were like, well, we're already so ahead of her. If you add these things to also be ahead of her in how stupid is she going to seem unintentionally, you know, because we know everything that she doesn't know. But yeah. Also, it was yeah. kind of a search for a twist or reveal. I think they were saving it mm-hmm. yeah. over, over what you're talking about, over the but, tension. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's, I think, part of the reason why I didn't. That, that was some of my struggles with the movie's first half is it's a late it's a late lock in lock in. Um, and I know all about the Cenobites. I know so much more than she does. And I'm just waiting for her to figure it all out or something to happen that gives me something new to me. Um, you know, I'm waiting for her to catch up so I can get to new stuff. Um, and it takes about 38 minutes before I get to new stuff. Um, there is new stuff. I mean, there's, there's this whole blood kind of thing going on with the, yeah. I assume that's not in any of the other 11 movies. Right? I don't or, remember. I, I don't remember. It but, might be, but that it's a good idea. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like a it. whiteboard idea. Right? I, it's a great whiteboard. It's, it uh, seems like the big thing they added to this is like yes. working out the logic of yeah. the first movie. Yeah, I mean, exactly. They were trying yeah. to find more connective tissue of the first movie. Because like yeah. when we when we talked last time about the first movie, we kind of joked like, yeah, they don't really explain how the guys in the yeah and the you know and <laughs> blood brings them back. Yeah, but this this feels like. Okay, well, if we made this and needed to do the math of it, what would it be? And they kind of figured some of that out. So and it's a, always still, even now, is still ambiguous how it kind of works. It's okay, yeah, I th- I'm okay with a little bit of more so, mystery. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. So here's my point about late lock-ins and horror, though. Late lock-ins and horror. So, so sometimes horror movies are almost structured like they don't have a goal at the break into two. It depends mm-hmm. on depends on how you want to map it out like me just for my my mind i tend to say they have long first acts like 50 page first acts because it helps my mind to fix what i need to do in certain acts but some people would say the break into two they just don't have a goal the funny games is like investigating the puzzle box and then the midpoint clicks in and she gets a goal that's that's one way or narrows the goal like she's looking for her brother now she has a way specifically to save him or something um but what I was going to say with horror, because of the dread in horror, I think that's a big part. And because people not knowing what's going on and having things happen is almost like a, a horror convention. You know, it's like being in a haunted house and not understanding what the hell's going on is part of the fun. Yeah. Um, a lot of movies stretch that lock in to the first half of the movie. Uh, so they don't have to get really plotty until toward the end and it know? works and, and it works, works. It and it works yeah 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 because i think some of the fun of horror is the characters really not knowing i think what what's wrong with so if this movie weren't a reboot and a sequel and stuff maybe i'd feel different about this mm-hmm. middle section because i would yeah. be like who are these weird guys what's the deal it, why are they absolutely so on its own on its own that 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 lack of knowledge about the world and the mythos like would help for sure we'd be learning when she learned yes and therefore it would be interesting yeah um i wanted to circle back real quick to the sin because we because we we moved past it and i think it's like one of the most interesting discussions for no please that's what i want to talk about yeah, yeah yeah so like what do you guys i got my own things but like what do you guys think the sin is um of this movie jamie Mm. Long runtime, 
No. Just, uh, um, the sin of our podcast. Late, too. late lock in. No. Uh, yeah. We got uh, late lock into the actual screenwriting techniques. So there's, yeah, there's a couple things, and usually what I would try to do is figure out what the character's own personal flaw was. Though again, it doesn't have to be that, but usually there's some tangential relation between the character's flaw and the overall sin of the movie. There's something. Uh, uh, connective the yeah. overall sin like we said it doesn't need to be the protagonist so it doesn't we're, right we're not talking i know we're not trying to talk about void but he would be the initial sin er mm -hmm. right in this in this story mm -hmm. but what right. you're brainstorming is when you're when you're writing these things you want to have many reflections of that sin right, right. you want to have that's, all that's, different characters absolutely. doing sort of a spider web off of that so, core sin yeah what he's right. doing is the macro version and she's yep. doing some micro version some it's other version yep exactly yep. what i'm trying to get to is I, that, that's why I, that's i was trying to yeah, compare, yeah. you know like support my, you there <laughs> my problem i kind of said this to you guys before my problem oh. is there's i don't see much between riley riley's sins in the before world or right versus anything to do with avoid right i did I, it initially but then when i kind of honed in on what i felt it was please um, give me something so I, so I, here like here's what you think. so first yeah. of all let's let's reboot let's reboot let's call back to the sin of hellraiser which original, is right. feeding your desire and seeking pleasure at the expense of other people's pain right that sin lends itself to some sexy weirdness right that mm -hmm. you say that as the sin of the movie and you can imagine well a whiteboard of what of exploring that sin is going to be really really risque right really daring i think the sin of this movie is the same thing but with a different front end irresponsibility at the expense of others pain um and i'll give some examples of that because how i got to this was they're playing with addiction, not doing it well. No offense to the writers. Um, and so I went back to the Dr. Sleep episode where we broke down, like, what is addiction? It's irresponsibility. And Dr. Sleep is basically ex an exploration of, of Danny's um, irresponsibility, which led to the addiction. The addiction itself wasn't the sin. It was his irresponsibility and his lack of being able to control himself. Um, and I think that tracks here. I think uh, Voight's irresponsible with the box. He gives it to Trevor. Who the fuck is Trevor, right? He's some, you know, quote unquote, low life, uh, you know. Some guy. That some guy. Really He's don't know. Yeah. He, here's this box that can like, you know, bring about like, who knows, like unfathomable terror. And he just gives it to this guy, right? Like go feed the box, basically. I, I feel so like he, we could talk about just that. For an hour, <laughs> I know about well, the, that plan in general. I was, I can't. Yeah, even... we're gonna talk about it. Yeah. But so that's irresponsible, right? That's irresponsibility at the other pe at the expense of others' pain. Uh, Trevor's irresponsible with the box. He I mean, does not, the same thing. Not to interrupt He's... you, Jimmy, but not it's just irresponsibility. Like he literally sacrifices others' pain for his desire. That, straight, that's, up, for, straight up for money yeah that's true so that is desire that's interesting to say that that's yeah. more like the first movie so maybe i'm wrong here maybe it is more like the first you're not, movie you're not wrong it just doesn't read like it should yeah like it should it. it's not that yeah. measurable right i had it's to watch not, it twice right. and compare it to some other movie that did it better yeah. to kind of get to what i think they're going for here so and then and, and then in the hospital 
Voight's ex-assistant, she's irresponsible with the box. Like, she could have done nothing, but she tries to fight it away, and she gets herself stabbed. And, de- like, the responsible thing to do is just, like, don't touch it. Just let it go. Let them go, and you're fine. But she's irresponsible. She she brings about the Cenobites in the, in the hospital. And then Riley is just, like, her irresponsibility is everywhere. Like she's irresponsible with how she's uh, living at her brother's house. Like she's having sex, like while they're eating dinner. Um, She's irresponsible when it comes to Trevor, right? She's breaking into buildings with him, stealing things with him. Um, She's got a drug addiction that during the course of the first act, she gets drunk again. Like, so she's irresponsible uh, out of control with that. And then she's irresponsible with the box. So I think that, like, man, I, I just, I don't, I get what you're saying, Jimmy. I just don't see it. I don't, you don't see, see it. I don't, I don't. I'm think finding that, I, stuff where it's not there. I, I mean, I get what you're saying. I just don't see that connection with Voight. Irresponsibility does not read as his trait for me. Power is what he wants. He wants power. I think he doesn't care. He's not, he's, in, he's like, he's not like like carelessly doing stuff so basically it's a it's it's a mess well he's careless he's carelessly doing it post injury post that thing and he's pretty fucking careless well yeah he gives the box he just gives the box to trevor well he is in searing agony that whole time wouldn't you say that was pretty a, a pretty carelessly thought out plan though yeah, no, that was, but I don't. I guess I uh, Jamie, help me here if you or help Jimmy because I'm like, no, yeah, like I don't I, see any reflection between those two. I don't. I, yeah. I it doesn't read for me on screen. I've watched the movie twice. I yeah. get what you're saying on paper. It might make sense. That's what I'm but saying. I, I think, think it's an movie, intent versus execution thing. Maybe that is true. Yeah. I, I think the movie doesn't know that. <laughs> it, it, I don't think Riley has Do any. You- any reflection of void in any way okay would you say would you say then what they're aiming for is the first movie sin feeding your desire seeking pleasure at the expense with of other Voight. people's pain yeah, with with Voight. Voight. yeah. i don't the, see that with, with the, with the, the thing is that's that's kind of where i think the movie loses yes but that's right riley's sins don't really feel egregious in the ways that the movie thinks they right. are. They're, and they're, and they're it, barely explored after the first act. Right. So she yeah. just doesn't feel, she kind of just feels like she just haphazardly is involved. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and then you, and then you find the twist out and it even makes you more confused. Like, wait, so it's not just even, it wasn't just her. It was someone else. Kind yeah. Of like what? Well, okay. well, let's take that time to Jamie, if you don't yeah. have really a concrete sin that you're, Put, yeah, pointing to I, I do the I only be thing, off. I, you know. the, the only thing no, I was, I don't the know. Only, the only thing I was going to say, <laughs> That's why I brought it to the table. This yeah. is why the reason it gets a little messy for me is because, of course, there's the Hellraiser sins, right? Like, sure, um, sure. I'm gonna, I'm gonna intentionally play with this thing, and it's a metaphor for some other, you know, right, thing, right? Um, yeah, but then there's a very minor sin that in another movie could, could be enough, which is. She, you know, it's the, you know, the fact that she's addicted and, and, and can't, doesn't seem to even care. And so, or she, I don't know. She, I wouldn't say she doesn't care, but she's not really making a huge attempt to fix her, her problems. And then what she does is she goes and robs a building. Like that's she's, a sin. Yeah. She's dishonest. Um, yeah. 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 That's a sin. That's definitely, that, that's a sin. Like in another movie, absent of anything, that would be enough. 
to be like, oh, you you transgressed, you did this thing, you you took a shortcut, and now you're going to get screwed for it. You know that would be enough. Mm-hmm. Like like her her interaction with the puzzle box was purely accidental it's like accidental. she was not yeah. there's zero zero choice involved it's, with that beyond superficial curiosity which this, is like what I was, she was seeking money she wasn't even seeking like the desire of the, it, that but, the promise of the it, puzzle yeah box if, she didn't even think that box was going to give her anything yeah. in the moment yeah. it, remi- it reminded me of another um a, a script that um hollywood used to always look for the next one uh for a long time which is don't breathe in some ways mm-hmm. um because don't breathe. There's a there's the whole robbery aspect, and then that brings about the monster, the monster. Right, in right, some ways. Yeah. yeah. Um, now that character has a save the cat. She's doing it for a good reason. I don't think yeah. Riley's. I think Riley's doing it for all the wrong reasons. I think. Mm-hmm. I don't think she really has a save the cat so much. I think she's like, yeah, I get you're right, but I'm going to do my thing anyway. Like she's immediately like doesn't care about what her brother says. <laughs> he's like, yeah. Uh, well, no, I. I I don't know. I got a quote I think she, from I think that. She cares a little bit. It, so, a little bit. So let's oh, let's yeah. dig into this because I think the next two topics like are an, a nice extension of what we're circling around here. The well, yeah, because I okay, I, I was gonna say something, but it, I think it's go ahead, coming. say it, dude. Well, I was gonna say like instead of you said that you were trying to connect their two the the mirror of riley and voight with uh carelessness or irresponsibility mm-hmm. you could maybe argue that the two were addiction yeah. like mm-hmm. she's addicted to drugs he's addicted to mm-hmm. this weird pleasure yes but in execution terms here's the puritanical thing we don't see her really doing drugs to any extent that seems that bad like she kind of just passes out on the playground mm-hmm. i've had friends who do that it doesn't even seem that big of a deal it's, and we don't yeah. see any of voight's actual stuff mm-hmm. we see newspaper clippings about what he was in so you don't you don't feel that right that we, sin. we're, we're kind of we visit his like orgy night that ends up yes. sacrificing the guy but we don't really see not that i need to see an orgy so, but you know what i'm saying we don't yes. see it so on the screen to understand that there's a parallel between the so a literal addiction is the is is possibly the sin possibly and, i'm just and throwing that, that but, out there and right? that's and yeah. that's but it's but it's executed in a way that it's not measurable for the whole movie right. so we don't feel it if you got I, a montage of her doing drugs and a montage of voight having like satanic mm-hmm. orgies mm-hmm. i feel like it would read like that does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah i totally yeah. the other the other movie this reminded me of a little bit was the evil dead reboot um because yeah. there's that whole she's addiction. recovering she's a and, recovering addict mm-hmm. yep everybody's trying to like keep her from doing it yeah she's still over the rails with it that, and that yeah. works that she's works out of control that's, right that, so. that movie worked much better for me that's another yeah. reboot that oh, i, I love kinda that movie yeah. enjoyed yeah me too I, now this is a weird thing because we're about to talk about riley like that movie i don't know in some ways jane levy is it's it's kind of like she was the star of that movie right Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, she yeah, was no, the, she was. yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, she is kind of part of the rooting resume. There's just something about her that you're like down with her. The performance, um, yeah, yeah, the performance and stuff like that. Yeah. This girl, felt, this girl has uh, her charms too. Uh, so I, I mean, I felt like even though this character was playing an addicted character, there was definitely some light to her in some ways. But I didn't. They, this character did not have the typical rooting resume a rooting resume is like a bunch of boxes that's checked early on to say 
we like these people. So you're not like, I don't even care what happens to this girl. She brought it about herself. She's kind of a jerk. I don't care. You know, so if, <laughs> if, if you're in that point where you don't really care about the character, it, it kills tension. Again, we talked about tension because if you don't care, you're not worried about her. You're like, I don't care. She dies. She probably deserves it after she's, crap. she's a she's, drug addict. Doesn't pay her rent and treats her brother like crap. And, and basically got her brother who cares about her killed you know not just killed, um, like sent to a living yeah hell yeah. dimension right yeah it's like why do we really care about her you know there's so there's the endless there's the endless debate in the screenwriting world for about where you know you have the people who say you, you can't write unlikable characters and and then it's not that you can't write them in like unlikable they can be unlikable they just have to have like you said this rooting resume and uh, I, if you guys want to hear it, I went and I broke down the rooting resume mm -hmm. using yeah. Jamie's yeah. using Jamie's eight different types of rooting uh, techniques that are in his book, uh, Save the Cat Rights for TV. So um, available it, I, now on Amazon. What I think is <laughs> what I think is interesting is so to call back to the original Hellraiser because I think this movie is often trying to like do things that that did, even though it doesn't seem like it. The main thing to remember is Julia is an anti-heroine. Like she's not a hero. She's an anti-heroine. And so when you flip these, cause we've talked about a lot, uh, you can take these same rooting resume things and you can reverse them and make them do the opposite of that to, to sometimes make a great villain, but sometimes it also makes for a great hero when one or two of these, like like uh, Johnny and Cobra Kai, when one or two or three of these is reversed, it makes for a, an entertaining, complex, unpredictable hero, like Johnny, right? Like Johnny's casually racist, that sucks, but it, we, it, it gives him room to grow. Um, you know, the, things like that. Um, here, I think they downturn a bunch of them intentionally to kind of harken back to the same way that Julia is. But since Riley is supposed to be a hero, it feels like emotionally detaching, right? right. You go like, ugh. So I'm going to go through, and it's really interesting where she does have them and where she doesn't. So they're underdogs. She's definitely an underdog, right? Like she gets no respect. She's a Rodney Dangerfield, as Jamie puts it. <laughs> She's <laughs> definitely an underdog. She's they're economically challenged. They lack money or material things. They live in a difficult or miserable existence. All Very that. much so. Yeah. They're dealing with a disease, either mental or physical afflictions. Totally. Definitely. Yeah. All that all that tracks. So she's definitely an underdog. Number two, they care about someone or something. She cares about her brother. I mean, deeply cares about her brother. It's like the and, one true thing she cares about. What are you going to say, uh, I was going to say, you could even argue she cares about she Trevor. She does care about Trevor. I'm yeah. going to get to that in a minute. Yeah, yeah. I think that's actually what makes her less of a rooting. Root. Oh, okay. Anyway, All right. um, uh, number three, they try very hard to make their lives better. Um, I think during the course of the movie she does, but when we meet her, not so much. Um, so I think that it could be argued that this is a down one. Um, I don't know what you guys think. Um, but yeah, no, I, I would agree. And that, that's, that's that's where they flipped it negative she, there. Yeah, she doesn't really seem to have um, a big dose of hope. And by the way, with these, you don't have to do all of them. It's some of them, as many as you can. Uh, sometimes people only have one or two. Sometimes people have 50. You sometimes know, so. it sometimes the character just has a pet. 
Yep, yes. that's right? it. Sometimes it, right? it just continues for the entire movie. You can stack these. Right. Um, um, to, to remind the audience why you should root for them. Um, here's the one that I think is a big negative. I, it, I do agree, Jamie, that there's a little bit of lightness to Riley, but I don't think she, this one is, is tracks. They're fun. Uh, they're no. sweet, charming personality. I think she's abrasive and combative. Um, she does have one funny line. I think where Colin says, what is this place? And she says, I don't know. A fuck dungeon. That was funny. That made me yeah. laugh. I also think it's good when she says like, y'all heard me. Y'all heard us fucking yeah. like, like <laughs> so that moment. I can. Yeah, there's like, so, but that's two in I, two hours, two hours. It's, right. I, yeah. I'd like to, um, it's interesting because I, I was on a, uh, on a development call uh, a couple weeks ago. And this really stuck with me. Like we were developing a character. We were coming up with their flaws and their character arcs and stuff like that. And the director kind of raised his hand. He's like, yeah, that sounds like a real sad sack kind of boring character. You know, I hate those kind of characters. And then I, I kind of, a light bulb moment went off. I was like, yeah, those characters aren't a lot of fun to watch. You know, in some movies it's right for them not to be fun to watch. And maybe this is even one of them. Like maybe, would it would it hurt to have them kind of have some weird gallo sense of humor right. or something? Well, that, for instance, yeah. Sydney Prescott has a sense of humor. Like she's constantly like, you know, she did the the. Uh, will you settle for per? You know, he wants PG, to see yeah, her naked. 13, and she right. says, will you settle for PG thirteen? And every time someone calls, she's got uh, quick witted responses to the asshole calling her, thinking it's an actual like just prankster and not the killer. Sydney Pro- Prescott is very funny. And uh, I think that's why she's a great uh, horror heroine, you know? Yeah, because um, I, I think we spend so much time as writers doing this kind of character because it's the important stuff. They need an arc. They need to start really far back. You it mean is, the Riley stuff? Yeah, the Riley stuff, The you know, to make them that I think it is important to also build up. Why is it, Why do we want to hang with this character mm-hmm. for the next, you know? two hours in this mm-hmm. movie what so makes i think them fun i think it's an important thing uh to also think about when you're doing your rooting resume yep i agree um number five we know their struggle they have a painful past that one's definitely a yes these next three i think are all negatives and i really like because of that i think this is why we are all sort of feeling like we weren't that engaged with riley's quest because of it right so um your number six is we wish we were more like them. Loyal. Here's the thing. She is loyal, but she's loyal to Trevor, not just her brother. She's loyal to Trevor, who we know is a bad influence. Like if she wasn't loyal to Trevor, she'd be better off. That's even before we learn that he's like an actual accomplice to the villain, right? So it's weird that the loyalty to a person she shouldn't be loyal to makes her like kind of less engaging like trevor even says to her do you want me to beat up your brother like i'll swing at him if you want like that's not somebody you want your main character to be in a relationship even before they rob and start robbing stuff and then uh they never give up well like if she gave up everybody would be alive so like her like insistence to continue playing with this box is actually a bad thing. Like it actually makes her less engaging. So it's interesting that they give her that, but it's a bad thing. And then here's the one she lives by an honorable, honorable code. 
Yeah, no, no, not at all. She didn't have anything. She's dishonest. I mean, there's we see multiple scenes when we first meet of her about being dishonest. So there's that. Um, they're just like us. They share common mundane problems. I don't think her problems are very mundane. Like they're very, like very out of the ordinary. Like she's living with her brother because she's in a 12 step program. She does. She, you know, like, I don't know. I don't think her problems, I don't think she's just like, us. there, there, there are some like struggling to find a job. Or, yeah. We, yeah, the yeah economic stuff. Uh, paying rent yeah. is yeah. Paying, paying rent. rent. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So I'm, I'm, I'm being a little too hard on but that. The, one. But, yeah. but the one is uh, causing those other things, right? Like yeah. The yeah. Addiction and the 12 steps yeah. that are causing those other problems. Um, this is a big one. Um, they're the best at something. I don't think that no, she's not good at anything. Yeah. And I think the movie wants you to feel like, well, she's the best at solving the puzzle, but, but, but because everyone who picks up the puzzle in this movie immediately is able to make it move in a way that I feel like the other movies aren't, it doesn't feel special when she's solving the puzzle. I, it just honestly, feels like a goddamn room. I don't read it like that. I did not read it like that. No, it no, it doesn't I, I, read I, like I, that. I read like the puzzle just lets you solve it. Like uh, it doesn't exactly. actually matter. <laughs> that is not a talent to me. But I don't think that that's. I don't think that that's how it is in the text. Right. Um, well, it's fine. It doesn't read on screen. No, I know. By that. So because of that, she doesn't feel like she's good at anything. Um, so there you a, go. She doesn't have a secret uh, weapon. Like so, there you go. Right. Yes. So there you go. Out of the out of Jamie, out of these eight common rooting interest techniques that you list, she is missing. She has negative version of four of them. So that really that it really informs a lot about why you feel the way why at least we are feeling the way we feel about her. Um, and then I also did the rooting resume, which I think I was really surprised that she has most of them, but she's missing one that every single time we've done this, we have uh, found is true and it's not true for her. So I want to go into it real quick. So um, things that need fixing is, is a Blake Snyder thing. Another, this we've been heavy on the Blake Snyder in this, so, uh, in this so, episode. So you, you said rooting resume, but you say she has one thing that needs fixing that everybody else had that this movie, she doesn't. She doesn't. She okay. Doesn't. But things that need fixing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So yeah, I can set up things that need fixing or you can do it. Do you want to do it? It doesn't matter to me, Jamie. Yeah. Things, things that needs fixing are save the cat thing. Again, uh, Blake Snyder's first book, uh, and, and basically in in your setup in the first 10 minutes of a movie, you usually set up all the things that have gone wrong in a character's life or all the things that are messy in a character's life because of their flawed approach to living. And, uh, you know, so there's a bunch of stuff and, uh, Jimmy's about to go over them. Yeah. And often <laughs> what happens is, yeah, so I, I'm reading amateur scripts five days a week. That's what I do for a living. And I'm reading people who are trying to learn the craft and learn how to do this. Um, and often I will read a script that only has one thing that needs fixing. And that is the A story, you know, trying to get the arc and nothing else. And, uh, what that does is that 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 leads to a lot of repetitive conflict and not a lot of dynamic, complex scenes that are uh, creating tension through a bunch of different ways for the main character. And um, and it, it doesn't make for like an entertaining read or watch. So what you want to try to do is try to uh, give them 
several things that they, when we introduce them in the setup, uh, are a problem for them that over the course of the story and in achieving the goal, they're going to work through these other things as well. Um, like Groundhog Day has like 18 things that need fixing. That's why you, it feels like such a profound change when you get to the end and like all 18 of those things are no longer a problem for them. He's worked through it through his eternity of the time loop. Um, here, so, so these fall into five categories. Number one is changes in attractiveness, false beliefs, or personality. Um, she definitely doesn't believe she's going the wrong way. She definitely thinks there's nothing wrong with the approach she's taking to life. She definitely is unwilling to accept responsibility for all of her actions. Um, she's totally cool with like being dishonest. And so I think false beliefs is a big one here. I don't know. Do you guys think that tracks? Her only guilt about her life comes from her brother yelling at her. Mm -hmm. So yes, I, I do yes, think you're, yes. I, so number one, she's, so she's got that strained personal relationships. I mean, that one is the big driver of the movie with her brother. I don't right. think there's any debate there. Um, not being entrusted with responsibility or not being able to handle responsibility. Their big argument, he says to her, I'm not out here trying to police your every life choice. And Riley says, you just want to make sure I can handle myself, right? Message received. So that one, not being entrusted with responsibility, definitely tracks. So she's got, so far, she's three for three of the things that need fixing. Here's the one that I don't think that is there. Being invisible to key people or seeking invisibility. She definitely doesn't seek invisibility. And she definitely, like, everyone cares about her. Like, everyone on the screen is invested in her, in her life and her well-being. And it's interesting that not having that one feels so glaring. Because, like, we, when we've gone yeah. from hero to hero to hero that we've gone through, and we've done many horror, horror heroines, we've done the things that need fixing. And this invisibility one is definitely always there. So it's interesting that it's not here and how that creates less of an... Engaging yeah, she seems, hero. She seems like a cornerstone in all their lives. For yes, she is the center of attention. It's yeah. she's the opposite of this. Yes, yes, and or, and like like, yeah. like Nancy feels like no one wants to even listen to her, like a nightmare. Yeah. On Elm Street. right. But yeah, like she, like for some reason Riley's like it's she's she's the yeah. she's the center of the drama, man. Yep. She's the, yeah, yep. So it's interesting how that change just leads to a less engaging hero, right? I think it's instructive to look at that. And then the last one is definitely here. Others don't believe in you or you've given up on yourself. Riley even says to Tre Trevor after she's uh, argued with her brother, I don't need him to be proud of me. I, it would just be nice if he wasn't ashamed of me. So that's definitely given other people have given up on her. So even though like Matt is trying to do well by her, he definitely sort of, she definitely feels like others have given up on her, you know? So, um, but you know what, Bob, you talked about, I think this is a good time to just weave into, you mentioned the addiction problem and how it's like barely, we talked about it's like it's barely there. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it doesn't, even, like when I think about the movie, the only reason I think about the addiction is it's on our talking points. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even discuss it as if I was talking to someone off a podcast about it. That's how little it matters to me. It with yeah, the movie. It, it really only plays out twice. Like in the beginning, when that's like, you know, a guy you met in a twelve-step program, you know, that yeah, says that. There's that, and then and that the next scene makes sense to me. That whole 
Well, so that was his ruse, right? He yeah, he wasn't yeah. in the twelve step program. He was looking for victims. But I'm saying, right. like, it was odd. Matt, even Matt's, I don't know, Matt's rooting resume. Him saying that, I was kind of like, what? What? <laughs> you can't date people that are in a twelve step program. No, I know it's so what? dismissive like, and judgmental. I was like, I've never yeah. heard that. It, it actually thing, made right? me dislike the brother. <laughs> yeah, like no. I was like, fuck this guy. <laughs> He's well, kind of an ass. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know much about it, but I listen to a lot of Mark Marin, and I think there is like a codependency issue oh, between okay. so there's a okay. there's a law, there's a rule. Yeah. They didn't make that yeah. clear. Yeah. But that's not a, that's not a that's common rule knowledge number one. Thing. It's yeah. a, that's all they need. They just needed that tweak. And, that and, is 12 step rule number one or whatever. R- yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay, sure. But so, that, so, the movie needs to like, like yeah. the movie needs to tell me that. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know that either. So, um, but yeah, no, I, it, so Jamie, do you see this a lot where clients you're working with writers you're working with, they, they create this backstory and this wound and this stuff, and then they don't do anything with it. Do you see that a lot? The, the things that need fixing is the most common thing I comment on when people send me either a beat sheet to look at or a script. It's the thing they skip the most. Mm-hmm. It, it is, I mean, it, when I say the most common, the most common thing and maybe an act one, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's one of the things they skip the most is the thing that need fixing. They just skip right over it. And and the other tricky part is, because uh, a lot of people, they'll misinterpret it and be, they'll, you know what they'll do. You probably see these all the time. The foreclosure notice on the table, <laughs> right? That's that's the that's the one that they'll do, right? It'll be the foreclosure yeah. notice. Got bills uh, to pay, man. Bills to a stack of bills. But the yeah. key the key to make it really good is to figure out dramatic scenes. Yeah, conflict in the middle things. of it, right? Like it, instead, right. like literally, someone is throwing out their shit. Their landlord is like throwing out their shit yeah, exactly. on the, out the window, and and, the, yeah. and like we meet them while they're coming into the house, and their landlord's in the middle of throwing the shit on the oh my god wait like what, what that know, does the wife is throwing a husband stuff at or yeah know, yeah exactly you know, the, the divorce is <laughs> in it or something right what what that does it gives your character a chance to show character you know what i mean show like, how they yeah. respond in the face of these conflicts yeah, yeah. are yes. they gonna bribe the person yes. or are they gonna con the person or are they gonna fight the person or are they right. gonna do all the and above? that defines yeah. character but it's what I, show, where i was show don't don't tell right? show don't I mean, tell Yes. Where I was going with that question um, was to to, to bring up that um, it's really important that if you are going to introduce these things that need fixing, then you need to bring them up. You need a be- at least a beginning, a, a middle and end for these for these. You need at least three beats. Yeah. You, yeah, you, you, you revisit. At, at minimum, at minimum, if you're going to do this in the in the setup, you at minimum, you need a middle and an end. And you can't well, just have like if you're doing a short, it's yes. different. It's like oh, 10 yeah. minutes. Oh, yeah. But if you're doing 90 minutes, you can't be like, oh, they've got this problem on page 10 in their lives. And then like have them like uh, solve the problem in uh, on page 95 when we haven't been reminded of the yeah. problem since page 10. So what I see a lot, this addiction thing is mm. so not specifically addiction, but this thing where they have this wound that is sort of, you know, created a, a lot of problems in their life. But then that wound is not a conflict for them for the rest of the story. I, and then it's it, sort of 
Yeah, I call I call this use it or lose it. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, it's like I was expecting exactly. her addiction to come up either as like a form of the Cenobites using it against her, or even like I could even see mm-hmm. something like I right. was anticipating she would end up either becoming a Cenobite or some mm-hmm. or or like submitting to them because right. her addiction is an addiction to pain and suffering. So she like right. metaphorically is like, oh, right. let me do it. I'll just do it. So yeah. so so I think it speaks to another reason why she doesn't there isn't this sense of like this really memorable journey with this character. Are you because yeah. because we don't it doesn't really it goes there is one beat. So I, so it's 80 minutes. They're looking so so 35 minutes. Riley tells her her uh, Trevor the story that she just told uh, her brother's roommates that she just told the cops about being high. And she says uh, 35 minutes. She's like, I'm clean now, though. Like, I shouldn't be seeing monsters. I'm not on drugs. So that's at 35 minutes. The movie never mentions her addiction again with her on the screen there. Uh, Trevor tries to get Nora to drink at the bar. Um, but Riley's not there, so it's irrelevant. Like it's it's it, it it it's not a conflict for our hero when somebody's talking about their addiction in another room and it has nothing to do with them. Um, it's not a growing pain if Riley's not there, right? Basically, and, and and to think about this in reverse to kind of jump into our next talking point, but because yeah. I'm itching to do so, yeah. Like so, in some ways, her her arc could say. Oh well, she is going to fix her addiction and stuff like that because mm-hmm. she's made a she's choice. She's going to gain she's... control over her. Yeah, there, it could even without showing or mentioning addiction. It's like, Doctor Sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We might see that this is a new person reborn, and this person is at least going to give it a really good try because of what they've been through. They need to overcome it to to, to fight the monsters. Yeah, but, but in this in this movie, and this is one of the things I was really struggling with, and it really didn't necessarily affect my engagement from beginning to end but that that end it seems like they came up with that ending and they were they they like squeezed it in there right because it it almost like they were high-fiving themselves a little bit because it was cool it's a cool idea um what specifically are you talking uh, about i maybe i misinterpreted this but basically when basically her choosing the lament configuration so the lament configuration is just a choice to live with your guilt, like to not take a. It, yeah. it kind of subverted what the lament configuration yes, was. It right? did. It did. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Which and I it, loved that. And 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 it seemed like a great idea on a whiteboard. Like, what yeah. if the lament configuration that's was? That's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Do it. We got a movie. Green light that. Um, yep. So, but the problem is, it it doesn't show an arc i i don't know it's i have a hard time with it yep. it doesn't connect me to like what, you know what? she needs to do to grow right. so the, the problem is too is like that the ending is just them kind of like guilting her verbally like yes. hey yes. if you just choose to do nothing you're gonna have to feel guilty about your brother <laughs> and like it's not like they're gonna actively make her feel guilty yeah. or torture her with thoughts for the rest of her life they're just like, hey, you're probably gonna really hate thinking about your brother the rest of your normal life <laughs> after you make this non-decision. But it's probably better than having your skin ripped apart or something. Right, you know? right. It's just such an odd like. Yeah. So she just does nothing. You've, yeah. <laughs> well, no. So, so I'm gonna. Here's here's what I want to do, and if you guys don't think this this is gonna get to a good answer discussion, we don't have to do this. 
I, I want to, because I've talked about old way, new way before, and, yeah, the, and yeah. but we've never looked at it when it doesn't really work. Um, and this this is interesting because I think the, the problem is, Jamie, mm-hmm. there there isn't a clear old way, growing pains, new way mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. surrounding this. And so I'm going to get I'm going to like t- say the new way, expanding on what you just said. OK, and then we'll go backwards. And we'll okay. see, does that, is this why it doesn't feel right? So the new way, the climactic moment that's supposed to be the moment of growth and change where we feel like Riley's like, she's, she's through the journey, she's grown and now she, she's triumphantly a better person and that's how she gets out of this situation, right? I think that really is what they want us to feel. Um, I don't think that they want us to feel like, what? Um, it's just not not how it's constructed at all it's it's that character arc thing that she does something at the very end of the movie that the original character would have never done like that that's that seems like what they're trying to do they're trying to do right so it's the it's the after snapshot um so riley's new way with her dead brother begging her to choose resurrection even though it's her greatest desire to bring him back she chooses not to and Riley says, Bob, you had a rant earlier on the chat about this, so you can chime in. Yeah. Uh, she says, I've finish. seen your rewards. I know my brother's gone. I don't want anything from you. And the priest says, you have chosen a life of regret, knowing everything <laughs> you've done, everyone you've hurt and lost. Your suffering has barely begun. You've chosen to live, to carry that weight, bitter and brief. You have chosen the lament configuration. Okay. So, so the problem <laughs> that I was complaining to you guys about with my problem with this is at this point in the movie, uh, she has been given the information that there is no good choice. It's all a trick. She has this factual information that, you know, it's all going to be bad and they're kind of dece- they're, they're decepting everyone like you're going to end up being tortured. receiving everyone yeah 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 you're you're going to be end up being tortured horribly no matter what goes on with all these mm-hmm. configurations so her making the choice that you just described jimmy is not one of character growth or anything it's just her going well you guys are liars and i'm just gonna do the nothing thing because it's the only logical factual choice to make yeah. there's there's no it's real not, good it, it feels no, like uh, yeah there's no upside yeah, to it. it feels yeah. it doesn't feel like a dilemma as it wants you to feel like <laughs> well, right and then, yeah and then you got because going, you don't even gonna... know if her brother is real standing there it's, it's probably yeah. just it's a probably trick. it's a trick so and then you've got pinhead saying well you're gonna feel bad the rest of your life and then you in your mind you're saying so what your logic is pinhead is that i should just be tortured for eternity <laughs> like, yeah, I've, I uh, feel yeah. pretty guilty about that too. Like, I can't save my brother, and I'm, but I have to be tortured to not, or I could just be depressed the rest of my life. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, it's what's this it's, not, it's, it's not, it's not a very. It, 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 it wants you <laughs> to feel really like odd. it's meaningful, but yeah. because of all of those factors that you just stacked on top of it, it actually is a pretty simple choice. Right, it's pretty, yeah. So there's that, right? So that it's, it's kind not a character of a, choice. Anybody so, would make that choice. So let's. So, but but I think I think the way to make that work, like in a hypothetical world, is if whatever she was choosing was something self-serving. 
versus, yeah, versus self, right. Yeah. But I think the movie wants you to feel like her greatest desire is bringing her brother back. She's has moments earlier in the story where she, she hones in on if she does all these things with a box resurrection is her gift and she can resurrect her brother, which is the exact same goal Julia has in Hellraiser one. So again, they're hearkening back to the first one and playing with it in different ways. However, it's not, it's hard to measure. Um, it's and it's hard to measure. We have viable proof in the story <laughs> that there is no reward. The guy yeah. who has the half yeah. man of the story has literally said, there's nothing. Yeah. There, if you, if you get sucked in, that's it. There's no, yeah. help. it's not yeah. coming. And we're seeing it and we're yeah. seeing it. So like the per so and, and like I said, I wanted to say this real quick because the choice that she makes as uh, saying, it's not a character choice. What Jamie said it's not that just that the person that she was at the beginning of the movie would have made the same choice at the end. It's that any human on <laughs> earth would make that same choice. And that's a problem to me, right? Like yeah. that's huge. It's really a bad problem. I know you're right. You're speaking to the fact of it being kind of a meaningless <laughs> choice when you know everything that she knows. Hey, would you rather burn? Hey, that's hell not forever? really your brother. That's a Cenobite <laughs> in disguise hallucination. Would you rather and, not save your brother and burn in hell forever or just feel kind of bad the rest of your life? Yeah. Either or. Yep. Choose. <laughs> and most people would choose the second, the latter. So so let's so I'm going to bring it back to the original moment where she opens the box. And I think this is the other problem with that. It's not there is no old way, new way. So we've we've talked about like what, a really good way to show how your character is growing and changing is to present us with a scenario that gives them the choice, the same choice twice. So in the beginning of the movie, they make the wrong way choice. And in the end of the climax, you give them the same exact opportunity to make the right choice or the wrong choice. And we see how they've grown and changed by them ultimately choosing the opposite of what we saw them choose in the beginning. An example, Spider-Man No Way Home. Spider -Man, no Way Home. Um, it gives Peter the same wish choice in the in the in the beginning and the end. And in the end, he makes a difficult choice, but it's the right choice that he didn't make when he was first shown that given that opportunity in the beginning. Here, I don't think she has a choice in the matter when she unleashes the I think that's the problem. She doesn't, unlike the other, unlike the other, the Hellraiser, the original Hellraiser, she's not opening the box on purpose. Um, yeah, like she thinks so, it's like a, right. a trinket that's and worth that, money. I think either. that is the problem, right? Yeah. So her her old her her original way is it's out of she's high and it's out of superficial curiosity that she's playing with the box, and then when she opens it accidentally, she's hallucinating. She's high. She doesn't even know what the hell's going on, and they say, "Come with us," and then the priest Pinhead says, "If not you, bring us another." And then chains shoot out of her, her body and they hook into her brother and lure her brother there. But the entire time she's actually saying no. She's not choosing for them to take their her brother instead of her. It's just happening. Like we don't even get concrete evidence as to why they take her brother instead of her. She didn't say take my brother. She didn't think about her brother. All of a sudden there's chains coming out of her body and hooking her brother. And then they take her brother instead of him. And then she's like, I didn't want this. And they said, oh, but you did. But that's not there, to some degree. It's like it's, it's almost, not a choice, right? 
It's almost like that they should treat it like a Lovecraftian tale where we can't understand the Cenobites yeah. at all. Yeah. And that she has to figure, she has to subvert yeah. how to fight them in some way. Yeah. But none but, of that happens either. Right. You know what um, I mean? It's not about like how do well, we. Well, I mean, she, she, it is, there is. She's there like, is I can stab the them with the box and yeah. But sure. I'm just, I, it I just don't. So late. <laughs> I just don't, yeah. I just don't think that original, that original moment is the old, it's an old yeah. way. But it's not a choice, right? So it doesn't bring us into this parallel beginning before World Riley, New Riley, that if she had been given a choice that she chose the wrong way when we met her with that box when she first opened it, and then she has this second confrontation with the Cenobites where she gets to say, I choose wisely, right? Like, I kept well, hearing the Indiana like- Jones last year you have chosen wisely the, like <laughs> listening to you talk about it it's almost like if at the beginning if they said like we either take you or we take someone else and then she says yeah. take someone else right that's all you brother. needed and then at the end it's like i guess give her a choice between her or her brother maybe like take his place yeah. or it's, it's a like bit that. of a monkey monkey's paw kind of yeah. scenario like yeah. take someone else and then aha we'll take your brother now now, now you're ours yeah yeah um so anyway i think i think it's really interesting i think that's one of the reasons why it doesn't feel like this this actual moment of growth because there's nothing to compare it to and even like bob said it's not really a meaningful choice like it's an obvious choice it's some i don't know i can't remember if we talked about this on the ready player one episode but a lot of I've seen a lot of breakdowns of why that movie doesn't work for people, and it's because the protagonist literally figures out how to play the game, and that's the big reveal at the end of the movie. That's like his moment of wait, what if I do this? But it's not a character <laughs> moment, it's him yeah. just figuring out what the rules of the game are. Yeah, same thing with her. It's like she just figured out that there's no choice, I'm gonna play the game, and I'm just being depressed. Yeah. Did yeah. not going to hell is the win. It's like, yeah, she played the game. She didn't change. She didn't become new. Yeah, she yeah, learned nothing. I you think know? you're right. Yeah. Oof. So, do so we, do again, we theme, do we say what we think the theme of the movie uh, is? We didn't say, and that's okay. yeah. Uh. J- Jamie, you got something. <laughs> this one's this one's a tough. <laughs> don't do drugs. <laughs> yeah, because we don't have- do drugs and play with guns. Yeah. Dude, basically don't play rubik's cube while you're drunk right Um, right uh so i don't really have because because there's no arc it's hard to pin down because here's my problem like with what you i'm going to summarize kind of what you just said in a weird way in the end she chooses to be guilty so we compared her to the beginning she's probably in the next scene worse than she was in the beginning right Mm -hmm. yeah so it's like and did she i don't know it's so it's it's kind of nice maybe i mean maybe they want it to be that way right I guess but it so. feels like but it doesn't feel like that it feels it, like they're they're going for a big final it, it you know, doesn't it doesn't feel subversive at all it feels like it's a cheeseburger a horror movie they want right? it feels like they're going for the cheeseburger arc and, plot yeah but then in the end it's like she really is legitimately worse off than before. And it's not because it's a tragedy where she had a lesson to learn that she didn't Didn't. learn and continued. 
She just kind of stayed flat. There really weren't any lessons, big lessons to learn. Like once she was she on this lived, ride. She lived through the plot. She but lived again, through the plot. Yeah. I don't think that's their intent, though. Yeah. Um, Maybe not. We can't I, truly I, know I, that. I don't, but... Yeah, no. And, and, and you know, it took us to, in 90 minutes to get here. But we've, we've said before, if you haven't listened to this podcast before, we acknowledge that these solutions may have existed on the page and they may right. have even shot these things. things but editing and then in it, the yeah. editing it got lost in the edit and and we're only commenting on the final product as as the story but uh yeah i don't i don't know that they're trying to make it w- what you say jamie even though i agree with that's what mm-hmm. it feels like yeah no i i i hear you because i think the that lament can you've chosen the lament and, configuration i do think there is a part there they want that to be like she made a really difficult wow. choice that she would never have made in the beginning of the story. Yeah. And now she is on the path to righteousness or whatever. Yep. She's on the dark path to righteousness. But it's, I can't yeah. get the logic behind like it doesn't I mean, yeah. it doesn't compete. She already was a depressed, guilty feeling person. I, yeah. Like I <laughs> Yeah, she's no, more I know. Now. No, I, I know. The whole the whole movie yeah. was just like we're making missing her, that yeah. old way choice it's, that yeah. that that shows us the opposite of that. It's, That's it's what almost, we're missing. It's almost like if I reverse engineered it, if she was a person in denial about her problems, um, mm-hmm. if she was a person that lived like almost a privileged life, to, but had a lot of skeletons in the closet or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then she finally almost admitted to them and chose to live, you know, it, I, I don't know. Can, can I, I i'm not trying to make the transition. none of us have talked about yeah. theme by the way well, no no i'm not trying to make the transition here but like in talking about how we don't all have a theme our next talking point you know it the theme to me is with the next talking point which is yeah. about void which is an easy pretty much be careful what you wish for yeah be careful what you wish or for. the monkey's paw of it all or, yeah you know but I mean? she's not wishing that, for anything no no, no. I'm, what i'm saying is the theme if there is one is not with riley whatsoever i agree yes if there is a theme however small or blunt it's with the villain mm-hmm. and that makes it all the weirder of <laughs> how you feel about everything you know yeah because he's yeah. the only one that i'm like oh well <laughs> he at least learned something yeah <laughs> in the worst way possible so i wanted to first thing i wanted to talk about um, was the, na- the the idea of an off-screen villain. Um, and I want to kind of compare, even though it's apples and oranges in what it is, I would just want to talk about it. So in Pig, when we broke down Pig, mm-hmm. it was unconventional in that the villain was completely off-screen for pretty much the entire movie, and we never were following along with the villain's plan and we had no orientation as to the state of his plan, but it worked. It was like that complete lack of orientation created this huge sense of dread. Right. Here, m- for most of the movie, we have an off-screen villain, and I think it doesn't work because we didn't know he was the villain. <laughs> like, the prologue sort of leaves it like a closed loop. Like, he looks up, we sure we want to know what happened when he looks up and he has ha- asked to talk to whatever, but like it feels closed, right? Mm-hmm. And then when they when when Riley like he, that could just be him 
initially opening the box again right, or something. Right. It didn't mean but, anything about Riley's. But like when Riley is investigating the life and times of him, that's the first time that we even get a a clue that he's still alive through that investigation. And that's 54 minutes. In. <laughs> so and then, you know, she gets in, she she finds his journals and everything. But that by that time, um, it still feels like he's dead. And that's 60 minutes in. And so there's zero tension around another villain. And then um, even so 63 minutes, someone attacks Nora with the box, but we don't know it's him. We don't get to see him. It right. isn't until 65 minutes that it's revealed that he's alive and that he's in that house, like Phantom of the Opera of his own mansion. Um, and I, and it isn't until 82 minutes that he attacks Trevor. And we learned that he was a villain this whole time too, with this plan to, he says, can, all you had to do was feed the I, box. Can we talk about, yes, let's their, talk about what is, what I don't, <laughs> this is honest. I don't know this. I don't want to veer too far off our normal format, but like, I can, for the life of me, not understand what Voight's plan with Trevor was <laughs> at all. The second viewing actually made it worse for me, trying to I, understand their motivations and what they were trying to accomplish. I, I I thought he was trying to do what she did in the end, which was like, you know, get the ultimate wish or yeah. something like that. But why? Like, why so there's did, seven. Why did Trevor have said. to? Why was it? I hate being this guy, but why is the plan to make tre Trevor go make someone fall in love with you that needs yeah. money that, to that break part of into it. A, a, a place to steal the thing? Right. Why not just so, hand it to her and say, hey, try out the puzzle box? Isn't Voight like super rich? I, I yeah. Can't he just pay like pay pay a sex uh, worker? Like uh, yeah. I, not something. that we want that to happen, but like it just no, seems but like he might, <laughs> you know, he might. I, no, I think if he, he was, just needed victims, it seems like I he think, already had that down. I think the plan was simply to get the box, do each configuration and kill another person and then bring it back with the la with the with its last right. diamond. So Jimmy, that not not debating that, but the the there is no explanation to the audience <laughs> why that plan was how it was went about. Well, yeah, why it had to be so complicated. It, yeah. it, what is going no, on with this? I know. And then and Trevor, the whole time, the second viewing was even more baffling because the whole time he's like pushing her away from doing any of it. Yeah, he's, like he's saying, guilty. Stop, he's stop. like, no, wait. And I'm like, no. what is the plan here? <laughs> what? There, there was a, there was a lot of stuff that when you watched it on second viewing, you were like, they're really cheating here with Trevor. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. As, as opposed so to cheating. like planting the seed of like he's the traitor. So yeah, it's almost like they they, they, they wrote were it up to, do, to the point of page seventy five. They and were then trying they to do the he like was secretly falling in love with Riley or something, yeah. but it they never say it. They never yeah. say it. So yeah. I'm just like, what is Trevor doing in this movie? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and we don't even get full orientation about the plan until ninety two nope. minutes. <laughs> I I, I will say is generous. It, I, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I, I will say in regards <laughs> in regards to the off screen villain, um, yeah. I do think this movie 
uses the Cenobites as the villain. No, I agree. I agree. Totally, yeah. I, I agree. I think his thing is purely an all is lost betrayal twist with a little bit of a wrinkle. And that that's all it really is meant to be, you know. So he's not really the villain per se. That's yeah. just there to kind of say, and this is why it happened. Big twist. Your boyfriend isn't. Yeah, really there's yeah, um, yeah. But the Cenobites are still the monsters. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. So, but so, yeah, I don't think it's quite like he's the off-screen villain, so to speak. Okay, but is, he's the one with the twist. plan that he gets yeah. them all to the house and gets everything is happening because he's <laughs> he's pulling the strings guys, behind everything i know it just tell me that this wouldn't work if trevor just showed up with to riley is like i know you need money here's this box i found maybe we can hawk it and then she starts playing with the box like why did what is the storage I, container thing why is I, it that i thought the exact same thing i was like why doesn't he just show up and say hey Hey, check this out. I found it at a yard sale. Boop. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's a thing. <laughs> like, I was just like, why are they breaking? Why do they rent out a storage container to put it into a safe for them to fake break in? I yeah, don't know. <laughs> I'm confused, too. I mean, it's, I, I had thought that they were actually needing to break in and get it from the lady in the hospital and locked it up. But now you're saying that the break in was fake. I think it was. Okay. It was fun. It's funny, Jimmy. Now that you say that, though, I I second guess myself. I was like, well, maybe it had something maybe to do with that lady that. in the hospital. Yeah, the lady in the hospital. I think I think they're trying to say that the late because we didn't get any explanation is why. I think they're trying to say like Trevor's first step was to break the box out of this warehouse oh, for Boyd he, from okay. the old lady what? in the in the hospital who used to be his Trevor. <laughs> Cause she well, used to be Trevor. She's a ha- she's a half man for Voight. Okay, um, once again though, I don't understand why Riley is the person that was involved. There's no <laughs> reason to pull Riley into this from Trevor or Voight's perspective. Well, Trevor, I mean, I think they were trying to insinuate that he went to a twelve step meeting just to find an easy target who he deemed an easy target. I mean, and imagine if like there's a version of this. That's kind of what I wanted to bring up. Uh, I, I I wanted to talk about all this because I think it impacts the tension in a really bad way, taking this approach, like not giving us superior position about Trevor's motives and not giving us superior position about Voight's uh, plans. It's a worse experience for the viewer because of that, in my opinion. And I see this a lot where, it's the opposite. So, so it's an arc plot movie, right? And I think a, I think a lot of we t- in the beginning, Bob, you mentioned this ambiguity mm-hmm. as like a yeah. common feeling. You're getting this. So here's the thing, like, uh, Jamie, do you want to introduce real quick the the triangle of arc plot, and then sure. we'll go into that. Sure, uh, I think the, it's relevant. Yeah, it's a it's a Robert McGee thing. Robert McGee is about to have his last uh, lecture, yeah. live lecture. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we talked about that last time. Um, so Robert McGee uh, has this idea that there's three types of stories. I really like this because uh, it helps explain things. Uh, at the top, there's what's called an arch plot, which is most of the movies you see. The cheeseburgers. Uh, the cheeseburger movies. Marvel movies, have, right. It's a hero with a goal. Uh, it's it's linear. It's tight. You know, it's got like uh, Chekhov's gun kind of stuff. If you set something up, you pay it off. Um, it has closed endings, not a lot of ambiguity at all, is nice, tidy math. 
Um, on the other hand, you have mini plot, which is a lot more like your Sundance movies or your day in the life movies. Not a lot of plot, um, random kind of scenes, um, could be multiple characters. Um, everything doesn't tidy up in a bow as much. And then over on the other corner, you have surreal, which is more your David Lynch. They're more, it's more a vibe, right? It's more vibes. If those are vibes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cheeseburgers versus vibes. So the question really in this case, are we doing arch plot? There's a touch of surreal, but arch plot or mini plot. And this one seems 85 95 percentile in yes. the arch plot category it it's, wants to be an arch plot horror movie commercial right. commercial safe as, po- as as it possibly can be playing with this and ambiguity in my opinion does not have a place in arch plot storytelling because once a hero has a goal we want we need to understand the progress or regression they're making for the duration of the story and ambiguity a- ambiguity does the opposite of that uh, to uh, a frustrating uh, uh, level I'll clarify one thing to that. So ambiguity might have a place in like the mythology and stuff like that. Yes. The storytelling elements. Yes. You should be very clear. Like the villain. Like where is the villain? What is he doing? How do we stop him? That's so. Those things are not things that help when you want, when you intentionally make it ambiguous. We don't need to know like how the Cenobites exactly work. That's fine. Right. We need to know. Thank you for voice. clarifying for me, guys. Yes. Yeah. No. Well, I'm saying what you just said. Like, we need. We don't need to know how they work or why they do what they do. They just are these beings yeah. that do these things. You're- but you need to know what Void is doing. Yeah. And, and you need, need to, to know how why close he it. is to succeeding. So, right, like, we right. get that update. They literally give you a, a goal status update at 82 minutes. Um, Trevor says things took a turn, but I'm handling it. We're on track. We're right. only one configuration away. That is a le- on the nose. It's fine. I, I appreciated it. That is a goal status update for the audience about the villain's plan. But before that, we don't even know, is he alive? That's ambiguous. Right. What is he doing? That's ambiguous. How is he doing it? Trevor, that's ambiguous. Like, uh, so I think it... it plays against the movie it works against the movie the level of ambiguity and uh and i see that a lot when i'm reading scripts because all of a sudden like uh, i'll read a script that's trying to be an arc plot indiana jones and then we have this 10 minute surreal sequence where i don't know what's happening i don't know who i'm watching i don't know how it has any relation to the goal is the villain in this sequence and it's like all of a sudden it becomes an anti-plot movie for like 10 minutes and that just doesn't work in a in an arc plot story like this usually what i find and this is especially true when i teach college students is usually they end up in mini plot by mistake yeah but then by the time they get there they don't want to admit it was a mistake Mm -hmm. because they don't want to do the work to fix uh is a lot of times what happens they're like i want this one section to be like twin peaks no you either choose that it's going to be anti-plot and twin peaksy yeah if you find yourself saying things like um um i don't know it's you know it's confusing not knowing who the hero is is part of the fun of it. Then you're a mini plot territory. Yeah. Um, or, or you know, not having you know people in real life don't have goals. Well, then you're a mini plot territory. And mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with no. And I'm not saying there's anything but, wrong with that. Yeah. But I would say 90 percent of the people also writing out there are trying to write arch plot, not mini plot. 
So yes. just be aware for people listening, what, what you guys are saying, what we're all saying is the movie thinks it's an arc plot. But it keeps playing in, keeps playing in many an anti-plot territory. Right. Yeah, that's in the ways problem, that the movie hurt, thinks it's something it's not, and and wait in ways that hurt the emotional engagement for the right. audience. Like it, we cannot root against the villain if we don't know that they have a plan <laughs> that we need to root yeah. for our characters to overcome, or even know who the villain is for most. <laughs> so of if it, we right. can't root <laughs> against the villain's success, then we feel nothing about them. When they also, have all of a sudden, they're like, we're almost there. What do you mean? We are one minute away from blowing up the Death Star. Well, I didn't know there was a Death Star. Um, <laughs> also, there, there's a, a huge missed op opportunity with Trevor as a part of the as a villain yeah, in the movie where it's like if he did have some sort of uh, sub story where he was falling in love with Riley while trying yeah. to enact his villainous plan, yeah. it is not shown. Yeah. So his death also feels completely yeah. nothing. It's what? like. Uh, but but if he loved her, it would feel something, you know, like she would she like, you know, he would confess his love and then he would still have to die. And that would mean something to us and it would feel it. That's all not in, there. In some ways, you I know? could feel a version of this being like <laughs> reverse fast and the furious, like the first one. You, know? <laughs> you, you kind of don't know he's he's a cop or what FBI agent or whatever he is. And then he starts to first. Get it and he becomes part of the. Yeah. And then you realize and then, you know, it's, I guess point breaks a little like that. But in yeah. the beginning, they don't tell you he's an FBI agent. Like I could see this movie doing the same thing with Trevor is like up until the midpoint or the break into three. We don't know. And then we flip it and then it's like, oh, he's a bad guy. But then we see that he's struggling on the inside with good and bad. Um, there's a version of this that could have done that. It's yeah. that he's like a deer in headlights. He's like, oh, yeah. uh, by oh, the way, I'm oh, evil. Oh, oh. I yeah. guess. Sorry. I told you not to open it. It's really <laughs> odd how like non-committal he's like, I told you not to open yeah, I mean, it. That was what, it. What, what do you want from me? We, we had some sex. There, there could have been a theme. There, I'm just saying there's a little movie with Trevor that is not the yeah. off-screen Trevor movie. And again, maybe it was on the page. It might and have been. And then in the edit, they, yeah. in the edit they, uh, they took it away, you know? Yeah. So maybe it would be really interesting to see. So I just, for me, I think a big answer why this movie isn't as um, riveting as I think it could have been is because of that complete lack of orientation of the villain, of Voight as a villain, um and, until like 82 minutes in when we understand what the hell he's doing so yeah i think that's that's instructive like if you have a villain with a plan who's orchestrating everything it, there's value in checking in every 10 minutes to see how they feel they have a, like like you know it's apples and oranges genre wise but like hans gruber as soon as the plan is set into motion there's 15 goal status updates and we never go more than five minutes without one. And that's why it's such a compelling, that's why he's such a compelling villain because we're so on top of what he's doing, why he's doing it, how he feels about it, that we have this really vested interest in John McLean stopping him because of it. And because we don't have that with Voight, it's kind of like, eh, whatever. As long as they stop, as long as they don't get killed by the monsters, I guess it's fine, you know? <laughs> it's also just unclear about <laughs> Voight wants the wish but he also it, I mean the last thing I'll say about him is he tells Riley it's all a lie it's all a lie mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the second he gets freedom from his current agony 
he instantly leaps into the to asking for <laughs> i'm like but you know it was a lot you said to her it was why did number one why are you surprised what happened i i don't know yeah no it's you're very right odd it's like he it's was all right. lied he's like oh they're here <laughs> yeah and then, I, and then i don't know it's just very yeah. odd like yeah the thought process of the characters just does not make a lot of sense it's very confusing yeah yeah so um that, i think that, is that every I think that's everything i wanted everything, to right? rent val on the villain side of things yeah mm-hmm. it's a shame because there's so much about the movie that's awesome same it i really know is, i agree really i agree is, you know but yeah this this one was more a process of just kind of figuring out why it why it wasn't you know resonating with me in a bigger way than it was um because there's so many things i do like about it yeah we didn't Um, talk about a lot of the positive uh yeah well i think i think the positives aren't the script i think that's the reason the positives are uh the whiteboarding of the cenobites the makeup the execution i mean like i mean i think the direction and acting is great i mean i don't it's not that you know we're talking about a a script podcast so that's unfortunately the negative it's not yeah. even like yeah. some of the other reboots that you go off on and you just kind of are like, why would they, do they even understand the franchise? You know, it's not like that at all. They, no. they, they get they, it. They, they, they get, they definitely yeah. get the Cenobites and yeah. Hellraiser and, and the priest. I mean, Pinhead was great. Yeah, she was fantastic. She, Jamie, Jamie Clayton was great. She's just, but that's not what we're here to talk about. No. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, it's sadly it's see, I'm just trying to clarify that we didn't hate the movie. No. Yeah. I um, put it number three, as we said. Yeah, you put it number three. I'm putting it a little lower, but even then it's still a very good Hellraiser yeah. movie. I've only seen three and that's at number three. So take that for what you want. <laughs> it's hard to beat the first two. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. All right. Well, the, yeah, that I, that's it. Right, guys. Yeah. Do you have anything to plug, Jamie? No, I will be in Austin this week. I will be in Austin. Uh, well, I'm sorry, it's next week, I guess. But, I mean, you'll know if you're there, you'll be there. <laughs> Not like you're gonna fly out there this week and say you weren't Jamie's there. Jamie's gonna you be there, there. Jamie. <laughs> I was walking you? around the streets. Str- I showed up you. in the center of Austin. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll be at the Austin Film Festival. My, it's funny. My book comes out November first. My new book, but it hasn't been announced yet, so I guess I won't announce it. But uh, if you searched it, you might find some weird page that doesn't have any good information on it, but you'll see what it is. But probably next so next podcast I should be announcing that because it comes out November first. Like That's always awesome. just follow all of us on Twitter and you'll probably see anything we do. Yes, absolutely. Check the Twitter, check Jamie's Twitter feed and he'll announce I'm assuming all of it, right? Yeah. One other thing, I mean, for locals, we're doing a bunch of screenings. Like, they're doing two Night Watchmen screenings locally in Maryland. Uh, One's in Annapolis, and one is in Frederick, and they're coming up, like, in the next – I think they're both in November. Um, And they're they're kind of big things. Like, they're going to have food and, you know – I, I don't I'm not sure if there's drinks and stuff involved, but anyway, they, they seem to be doing they're kind of doing like fifth anniversary because we did cool. theatrical releases. So uh, if you're in Maryland, go check them out. I, cool. I'll be at I'll be at at least one of them. I, I'm not sure if I'll go to both of them, but I'll, I'll go to one of them. So awesome. go out there and, you know, talk to Jamie a little bit too long in the lobby. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> well, everyone else is trying to talk to you. But uh I think I don't have anything, so I don't have anything, so 
Well, this has been fun. And also, yes. just a reminder, anyone listening, the episode before this one, we did the original Hellraiser movie from the 80s. So if you want to listen to the one-two punch to compare, we did that. We got that for you. Yes. Um, yeah. But other than that, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yep. Bye-bye. You have just listened to Writer's Blockbusters, a screenwriting podcast featuring two professionals and another guy. Uh.